Romans 8 is our study tonight. Romans 8, verses 23 through 27. I'm really enjoying Romans and especially chapter 8. Romans 8, 23 through 27. This is the time of year when you walk by inanimate objects and because of sensors that detect movement or sound, they give off screams and moans and groans. Halloween. Target's especially bad for this. You know, you're just walking down and there's, there's Michael's the same way. I, I admit I'm a guy, but I go into Michael's, you know, and uh, there's all these things, and, you know, and stuff. It's scary for little kids. <laughs> Year-round, lifelong groans are described in these next few verses. You didn't think I could make that segue, did you? But here we go. <laughs> In verse 23, we groan within ourselves. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. In the previous verses we studied, we learned that all of God's creation groans. Why are we and the Holy Spirit and creation all groaning? Well, the reason given is that we are in our fallen mortal bodies, but anticipating our future immortal bodies, and it creates a a sensation in which we groan desiring to be completed. Previously, we saw that creation groans as it waits for us to be revealed, meaning for us to be in our future resurrected, glorified bodies. Then in verse 23, you see a direct connection between the groans within ourselves and the waiting for the redemption of our body. And in verse 26, the Holy Spirit groans in response to what Paul calls our current physical weaknesses. These verses have a lot to say about our physical bodies, our current ones, and the ones to come. Our bodies are falling apart, even if they are not. Even if you are in great shape, we're not fit for heaven. And within even the best of us resides the flesh and that propensity to sin. We groan, but we can anticipate new glorified bodies that will, uh, we will receive at the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. And so verse 23... Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The first fruits were the pledge of the fullness of a future harvest. They're the, uh, you know, the first fruits that appear, giving you an indication that there's going to be a great harvest. We have received the Holy Spirit to indwell us. The body He indwells is, of course mortal and temporary, while he is immortal and eternal. We have a treasure in an earthen vessel. The having of him is a profound guarantee of things to come. Jesus Christ is elsewhere called the first fruits in the sense that he was the first to be raised from the dead in a glorified physical body. And just as he was raised from the dead, so will we in glorified physical bodies. And then verse 23, it says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In our current condition, we groan within ourselves. It is describing our deep internal desire to be free from the earth and home in heaven. It's not a license for us to complain or go around being depressed and discouraged. Actually, quite the opposite is true. We groan within ourselves knowing the glory that awaits us in the very near future. And so we, we, if you're a Christian, you have a sense that 
that God has something greater for you. And you desire, there's a certain sense, you know, maybe not always, maybe not every moment of every day, but there's a sense in which you want to leave these things behind and, and get to your heavenly home. Get away from the, the struggles and the problems and the troubles and just the, the daily living and get into heaven. We're eagerly waiting for the resurrection. Think of something you want to do that you are eager and therefore willing to wait for. I'm thinking of those folks who camp out days or weeks ahead of time to get into a movie or a concert. You know, there's always, you know, whatever big movie or big event. And, uh, you know, I, even around here, they, they cover that. You know, they're up at the Edwards uh, in Fresno showing people camping out in their little tents and stuff waiting for the big Opening. They're excited and they're eager in their waiting. They're willing to suffer certain hardships for the event. I think the longest I ever waited for an event was about four hours. And even then, I grew extremely uncomfortable standing in line, waiting in line. I, I'm not even going to tell you what it was. I definitely groaned. I mean, you're waiting in line, you think, oh, really? What time is it now? That's. Fifteen minutes after. Okay. What time is it now? Fifteen minutes behind that. You know, and, stuff. and you're waiting. People are bringing you lunch in line and things like that. And, and, but you're eagerly waiting for the event. And, and you're excited about uh, when it finally happens. We are eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, Paul previously told us we are fully adopted sons of God. So in what sense are we eagerly waiting for it? Well, obviously... We cannot enter into the fullness of the experience of our adoption until the redemption of our body. We need to be resurrected from the dead, and we will be, unless we are fortunate enough to be alive when the Lord comes for the church. And then we'll be raptured without ever dying. Uh, and so, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Uh, but He's still waiting for the kingdoms of this world to become His kingdoms. He's won the victory, everything belongs to him by right, but we have to get to the book of the Revelation, we have to get to our future history before he steps forward and actually takes control of this earth through the great tribulation and then by his second coming. We're his joint heirs, we're the fully adopted sons and daughters of God, uh, but we don't have our full inheritance right now, do we? We're awaiting that uh, at the time that we return with Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in that sense, we cannot enter into the fullness of our experience until the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. You're justified by faith in Him. There's nothing more you need to believe. There's nothing you can do. But that is not to say your salvation is complete. It's secure, but it's not complete. Spiritually it is, but physically it isn't. Thus we still hope for the completion of our salvation when our bodies will be transformed. I was reading somebody this week, uh, a book I've been reading, and, and uh, they were talking about how Christianity, uh, even though we're, you know, it, obviously it's very spiritual, and we talk about spiritual things and spiritual reality, it's a very and I hope you'll understand, it's a very material religion as well. Not materialistic, but material. God says, you know, I'm going to do something with creation. There's going to be a real earth and a real heaven. There's going to be real people in real bodies. Jesus rose from the dead in a real physical body. And so God 
uh, is interested in the material realm and in the physical realm. Uh, more so than some other uh, religions, you know, that, that make you think everything's spiritual. And there's heresies that come into the church sometimes that say, well, it's essentially spiritual. Everything's spiritual. It doesn't really matter if Jesus rose from the dead. Hey, yeah, it does. Because if he didn't rise from the dead in a physical body, then God is a liar. And you and I will never rise from the dead in a physical body. And uh, none of these things are true. And so it's very important. And so hope that is seen, it says, is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? By definition, hope looks to the future. It expects something in the future. We're expecting new bodies, a new earth, a new city, and an eternity filled with fellowship with Jesus. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now the word if here again means since. Since I am hoping for the redemption of my body at the resurrection, I definitely eagerly wait. I'm like those campers waiting for the theater to open, expecting something amazing. And you could have called this study happy camper because that's what we are supposed to be. We're happy campers. We're in these bodies which are tents, temporary dwellings, Paul the Apostle says. One day we'll have our eternal home, our new body. And because of all that, I'm told here I should and I can wait with perseverance. Albert Barnes made this insightful comment on this verse. He said, where there is a strong desire for an object and a corresponding expectation of obtaining it, which constitutes true hope, then we can wait with patience. Where there is a strong desire without a corresponding expectation of obtaining it, there is impatience. As the Christian has a strong desire of future glory, and as he has an expectation of obtaining it in proportion to that desire, it follows that he may bear trials and persecutions patiently in hope of future deliverance. Compared with our future glory, our present sufferings are light, they're just for a moment, in the hope of that blessed eternity which is before him, the Christian can endure the severest trial, bear the intensest pain without a complaint. Now, I'm not saying we always do that, but we can do that. And these verses are designed to fix our attention on that, that, that we are a future-oriented people, that God is going to complete the work that He's begun in us, and that is a glorious work. Uh, and so I, I groan, and, and, and I have all these problems and difficulties now. I struggle with various things, but I can do it with perseverance. I can do it because of the hope that I have of what the Lord has promised me. God, the Holy Spirit, has something to say amidst all this groaning. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Likewise means similarly in the same way. Weaknesses could be specific times of trouble, but it's probably a reference to just the human condition in general. We're weak uh, with regards to, I mean, you know, we're all dying for one thing. I'd say that's a weakness. Uh, No matter what kind of physical shape you're in, you're you're dying. And even if you live a good life, even if you're Jack LaLanne, Jack LaLanne's still alive, isn't he? Jack LaLanne? No, did he die? The world just ended for me. <laughs> Jack LaLanne, I mean, that guy used to swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco every year handcuffed. 
You know, I mean, Jack, he's Mr. Energy. When did he die? Where was I when that happened? I'm kind of blown away. You know, was it recently? Six months ago? Where was I six months ago when Jack LaLanne died? I was at Disneyland, that's right. But, uh, so, but even if you're Jack LaLanne, you die. Or you get run over by a bus or something happens. So there's weakness, there's internal weakness, there's stress, there's all of these things. And so that's the human condition. So he's not, you know, I used to think this was talking about a particular time of trouble that the Holy Spirit would help you through. But it's really just the human condition. When you begin to look back from this vantage point where we're spiritually speaking, raised with Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ, anticipating all this future glory, and then you look back and you see your true human condition, you think, man, this is puny compared to what God has for us. There's a groaning and a desire to be there, and so our our condition is one of weakness. How does the Holy Spirit help me as I am groaning, waiting for the redemption of my body, Remarkably, it says here, he groans right along with me. Now, his groanings are not from exhaustion or disappointment or anything like that, because he is God. They seem to be a type of interpretation by which the indwelling Holy Spirit translates my groaning into something that's intelligible to God the Father. Do do any of you, you don't have to answer this, but do any of you just groan every now and then? You just go, oh. And then your spouse will say, what, what do you mean by that? What's that all about? And you think, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you just don't know. It just, you're just groaning. It's like, oh, allergies. I've got to get up and feed the dog. I was complaining the other night about my, my night routine. My night routine is to fall asleep on the chair. I had a really bad experience the other night. I, I didn't think I was going to wake up. I just, you know, something woke me up and it was like I had a hard time coming back to consciousness, you know. I guess I was really tired. But then I got to, here's my night routine. I got to go out and put the car in the garage. Well, first of all, I have to move stuff out of the way so I can put the car in the garage. And I put the car in the garage. Then I got to triple lock the door. Then I have to put the doggy door in so the dog can't get out during the night. Well, actually, so that things can't get in during the night. Then I have to make sure the back door is locked to the garage. Then I have to turn off three computers that are in sleep mode. And it's not so bad with the Macs, but with the Windows machine, it's like, are you going to come back or not, you know, and stuff. Finally, it comes back. You turn everything off. Then, God forbid, it asks you, do you want to save this? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Do I have to make this decision right now? So I get all that done. Then I, by then I'd forgotten that the air conditioner was still on, so I have to go down the hall and turn it. And all of the time I'm just like, I just want so bad to be laying down in bed. I am so tired. Then I have to fight my dog for my bed spot. Because she gets up there and she wants to lick me. She thinks it's fun to lick me when I'm laying in bed. No, Momo, no. And stuff. It's just crazy. So sometimes I just moan and I can't express myself about, you know, nobody wants to hear all that. It's just the weakness of my flesh. And so it's just like, uh, I have to tell you because no one else wants to hear it. But anyway, we don't know then. But now before we get to that, he says, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. 
That really shouldn't shock you that you don't know what you should pray for. But it's worth really meditating about. You don't know what to pray for in most situations because you don't know the future. And so that job that you're praying for, you don't know if that's going to be a blessing or a bummer. You have no way of knowing what's going to happen. In your own life, in your own experience, how many times have you thought, oh yeah, this is going to be great. And then it's not so great. You prayed about it. And you prayed for it and you got it in a sense. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't like this. And so you don't always know. Uh, the healing that you're praying for, is it going to really draw you closer to God? Or is it going to cause you to fall away from Him once He heals you? Because you don't have that thorn in the flesh anymore that is really keeping you there. I've known a lot of Christians over the years, just that I've been here, who've come into times of material prosperity that have led them into times of spiritual poverty. They were doing okay with the Lord. Life was a struggle, you know, making ends meet and stuff. Then so they, you know, something happened where they get a little bit more cash flow and then they kind of fall out of fellowship. And you know, it doesn't happen to everybody this way, but, you know, a lot of times their family falls apart. And, and so it wasn't really a blessing. And so, you know, we don't always know how to pray as we ought to pray. So the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, the Bible says, makes intercession for us. And in this case, when we're talking about areas of our weaknesses and all, He does it with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but just as a point of reference, this is not speaking in tongues. Okay? I know that it's not because it says these are groanings which can or cannot be uttered. What does it say? They cannot be uttered. If they cannot be uttered, they cannot be an utterance in tongues. Now can they? And so, I mean, I just, I'm not anti-Pentecostal. I mean, I'd love to hear people bust out in tongues. That's why we believe in the gift of tongues. I encourage people to exercise that gift. But that's not what happens here. It isn't that I get so... She wrote a Honda. You know, that's not what this... There's no way. These are utterances which cannot be uttered. Alright? Do you understand that? Golly. This is not me speaking at all. It's the Spirit. So not only is it not tongues, it's not even me. It's God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, He takes my groanings and He makes them His groanings and then he brings them before the Father. He interprets and he translates. One author called this a kind of inter-Trinitarian language, something understood only within the Godhead by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have their own kind of intercommunication, kind of like a heavenly pig Latin. No, I'm just kidding, but do you understand what I mean? Do you ever have a language that you only you and someone else understood? Like twins. Twins sometimes have languages like that. Well, anyway, that's, that's a joke in our family, but since only me and Gene are here, it's not very funny. All of us, listen, all of us, even the most eloquent, of which I am not, struggle to express ourselves at times. Words elude us. I mean, there's lots of words. I get the word of the day, you know, on my dictionary. comes to my phone, you know, and, and I look at it and I think, I, I can't use that. 
<laughs> you know, give me something I can use. But it's hard to express ourselves. And a lot of times I get kind of, I realize how, I don't want to use the word stupid, but I realize how dumb I am because sometimes I'll use a word. And you, you realize a lot of the words you use, it's really not the correct word choice. I still don't know the difference between farther and further. I, I, and I've asked before and people have told me. And I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And, and, and so we, we struggle to really communicate. And if you don't, I, I'm warning you right now, don't get into any serious conversations via email. Because people think that you're a monster because of the way they read what you said. You say, hi, how are you? And they write back and they say, you monster. How dare you? What are you talking about? It's, it's, it, you know, I didn't intend for you to read it that way. And so we struggle. I love to read J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings especially. Sometimes, I can remember when I would read that out loud to the kids when they were little. We used to read it every year for a while. I would get to a sentence that would... maybe you'll laugh at this, but it would almost take my breath away the way that he constructed that particular sentence. It was like, I can't believe a human being could communicate something like that. It was just so brilliant, that one sentence. And yet, even reading his stuff, it was only once in a while. Sure, the whole book is great, obviously, but every sentence wasn't like that. And Tolkien was a linguistics professor, an inventor of languages. He was a genius. A one-of-a-kind guy. He would start, his classes would start off full and they would end up with 11 or 12 students in him because no one could even understand him. He was so smart. But even Tolkien struggled with language. You've heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. What Romans 8 is saying is that the Holy Spirit's groanings are worthy of the deepest expression of our mind, our heart, our feelings, our dreams, everything that we are. They transcend words. And so the Holy Spirit, when I'm just struggling as a human being, like we always are, really, if we're honest with ourselves, because we, we know that we're made for something more, we know that there's a future coming, and it's, you know, whether it's you know, just a physical problem or whether we, we think we didn't witness enough today, we're having spiritual misgivings, whatever it is, and, and it's hard to even communicate that to the people that are the closest to you. This scripture is telling you that God the Holy Spirit understands all of that as He lives within me. And He condescends to a kind of groaning along with me that takes my being and relates it to God the Father so that He knows all of my heart and mind and, and everything that's going on with me. Everything that you could put into a groan can be understood and translated perfectly by the Holy Spirit. His groanings on our behalf are then expressed to the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit does something else to them. According to verse 27, He edits them according to the will of God. And so if I could express myself, I still wouldn't do it in the best way And so the Holy Spirit not only, it's not just a translation, it's an interpretation that is edited. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Only God can search the heart. I think what is meant here is that our Father searches our hearts to know what the mind of the indwelling Holy Spirit is. Here's what's happening. 
In our current physical condition, we sometimes are reduced to groaning. We don't really know what to pray for since we don't know God's will. The indwelling Holy Spirit does know the Father's will, so He edits our groanings to the Father in a way that fully represents our hearts, but in submission to the Father's will for us. And so the conclusion here is that the Holy Spirit prays perfect prayers on our behalf. He knows all about me. He groans along with me. He has a perfect knowledge of of what's really going on in my heart and life, more so than I do. And then he communicates that to God the Father in a prayer language that only they understand that guarantees that God will answer those prayers. Because uh, if Jesus asked the Father for something, is he going to do it? Sure. If the Holy Spirit asked the Father for something, is he going to do it? Well, sure. Because it's perfect. And so we have two divine intercessors, Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on our behalf. That's from Hebrews 7. But the Holy Spirit is also interceding for us with groanings which cannot be uttered that ascend to the throne of grace. Let's get practical. How does any of this help us? Well, something Charles Spurgeon wrote, I think, is enlightening. I'll just read it to you. I think, dear friends, you will all admit that if a man can pray, his trouble is at once lightened. When we feel that we have power with God and can obtain anything we ask for at His hands, then our difficulties cease to oppress us. We take our burden to our Heavenly Father and tell it out in the accents of childlike confidence and we come away quite content to bear whatever His holy will may lay upon us. If I'm understanding these verses correctly, the Holy Spirit translates my groanings, He edits them in a way that guarantees that God will answer according to His will for my life. And so, as I'm just living my life and struggling you know, to, to, to follow the Lord and, and just living day to day, there's a confidence I can have that the Holy Spirit is constantly communicating my heart to the Father in a perfect way that guarantees that God's will will be done in my life. And so I have a great prayer partner, I guess. Wouldn't you like to be able to go to somebody and say, you know, I, I, have, to go, I have to go to this person and have them pray for me because whatever they pray for, God grants. Now, I don't always know still what the Holy Spirit is praying for because they're groanings which cannot be uttered. But I can trust that He knows me intimately and deeply and is only wanting what is good and right for me, that He represents my heart before the Father and then brings what is good into my life. In other words, I can pray, and in this truly great spiritual sense, I obtain everything that's asked for, and I can have a confidence then before God. The Holy Spirit's intercession ought to leave me with childlike confidence in my dad in heaven to manage my life as I await the redemption of my body. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing, really, when you start to meditate upon it. I close with another gem from Spurgeon. He said this, O oh, you people of God, let this last thought abide with you. What condescension is this? That divine person should dwell in you forever and that He should be with you to help you in your prayers. I bow with reverent amazement, my heart sinking into the dust with adoration, when I reflect that God the Holy Spirit helps us when we cannot speak but only groan. Yes, and when we cannot even utter our own groanings, He does not only help us, 
but he claims as his own particular creation the groanings that cannot be uttered. Amen? Praise the Lord.